0: Well, a couple of the issues that I really enjoy focusing on this show have to do with trends and the future in education, have to do with trends in the future of religion, especially of the organized variety, and have to do with taking a look at the history and the benefits of radio in general, but specifically talk radio. Well, we are in for a treat because my guest, he is somebody that wears multiple hats, And he happens to be an expert in all three of those areas. If he's not a total expert, he's the closest that I could find. I'm very, very pleased to welcome back Deacon Kevin McCormick, the new superintendent of the schools of the Roman Catholic Archdiocese of Brooklyn and uh, the former co-host of uh, 77WABC's Religion on the Line in New York City, a longtime educator and a friend of mine. Kevin, it's great to talk with you again. Thanks for getting up earlier, staying up late with us.
1: Hey, Frank, it's so good to be here. Thanks for asking me. I'm um, uh, so, so
0: glad that you could come. For folks that um, may miss you on the radio or for folks that might not have heard you when you were hosting a radio show of your own, wondering if you can reflect a bit on uh, what your time on the radio was like, what you enjoyed most about it, what surprised you about it, and what you viewed it as a, an opportunity to do.
1: I, I was with Rabbi Joe Potasnik, who uh, now has a show on WABC, uh, uh, Rev and the Rabbi, Rabbi and the Rev, or something like that. Yeah. Um and we were on from. Uh, I can
0: tell 2000- you're a devoted listener.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I'm. Uh, I'm back in church in the morning. So that's what I have to do. Um, I was. Uh, we were on. For, I was with Joe from uh, 2006 to 2018. So we were on for 12 years, Sunday mornings. And I first went on, and it was a lark. It was a one. It was a one trick pony, and, and I, I really didn't think I'd ever be invited back. Circumstances were around, and uh, I, I, you know, I got the gig, and and uh, so every morning I would come into uh, uh, Manhattan, and uh, Joe and I would have the show for uh, about an hour and a half. There was a time we almost were there for two and a half hours, and um, the intimacy that radio produces is is unbelievable, and you know that, and and you have diehard listeners across the nation who who you know this is their time with with, with Frank, you know, and and you do develop this intimacy through the word through the sounds. And we got to deal with some really serious topics. You know, uh, uh, Joe, obviously a rabbi Jewish, myself a Roman Catholic, we we, we walked hand in hand with some issues on social justice. We dealt with issues of politics. We dealt with issues of education, of crime, of of art, of of humor. it was really, truly a, a wonderful gift. And, and I thank the people of WABC for that opportunity. And I certainly thank uh, Joe Potasnik for letting me be his partner. And I got to be great people like Frank Morano.
0: Well, <laughs> a lot greater than me, that's for sure. Uh, great people like Mike Savilli is more like it. But
1: um, you're a great you're
0: guy. Kevin, um, I've watched a lot of radio partnerships over the years. And uh, there are moments in every radio partnership where there's disagreements and where sometimes things get very tense. Sometimes it's an argument over topic selection, or sometimes it's just a, an on-air argument about something that gets a little, a little too carried away. In 12 years of co-hosting a show, even with someone as bright and as fun and with as great a sense of humor as Rabbi Joe has, there had to have been at least one moment where things got a little heated between the two of you guys. Let us behind the curtain a little bit. Let us into at least one of those moments.
1: There would be times that you know we certainly we, we we agreed on quite a bit and and the things that we disagreed. I'm not sure about dogma and things like that. That was you know that's something that's respected. Um, but here's the key. I guess might have been more on me than on, on on Rabbi Joe and that Rabbi Joe was the main guy. I was I was the foil. You know, and I knew that. I mean, that was my place. Joe had been on the show forever. Uh, he He started way back in the in the eighties and the show had then a rabbi and a priest and an iman and a uh, Protestant minister and then it evolved to uh, a priest and then uh after father Keenan I, I took over as the Roman Catholic deacon um there might be times, you know, where, where there might have been some petty jealousy on my part that, you know, uh, uh, Rabbi Joe spent a little too much time and didn't give me a, a shot. That was very rare, though, and, and it probably had more to do with the fact that I didn't get a good night's sleep the night before than it had to do with, with anything with Rabbi Joe. So uh, I have to be honest. Uh, you know, look, we also w- were together once a week, mm. so uh, it's, it's different from you know if you have a, a program that's on four hours five every day, days a week, sure. Different ballgames that, that that might tend to be a little quicker to happen. Um... But uh, I, I'll tell you, Joe was—it uh, still remains a good friend and was a wonderful, wonderful radio partner, and uh, I miss those days very much.
0: Well, uh, that uh, so I miss them as a listener, that's for sure. All right, uh, let's talk a little bit about, before we get into your new role as the uh, superintendent of uh, the Catholic schools in Brooklyn, a lot of folks who, some may be Catholic, but we may have a lot of folks that are, uh, are totally secular or, at the very least, not Catholic, and they may not even completely understand. Understand what a deacon is. What is a deacon versus a priest? What's the difference?
1: That's a great question. So, in, in the Roman Catholic Church, as well as in the Episcopal Church in the Greek Orthodox Church, there are are three levels of of uh, of, of service in in the church, and and uh, we call it holy orders. So, the boss is the bishop. He's he's on top of uh, all that. In the Episcopal Church, it's, it could be a woman as well. Um, in and, and, and then underneath the the bishop is the uh, uh, priests, and the priests are the ones that are most commonly known. Uh, in the Roman Catholic Church, priests you know wear uh, you know the black shirt and the white collar, um, and they're uh, in the Roman Church uh, and in uh, mainly in the Roman Church they're all celibate and uh, they live in rectories and they have you know they don't have families they 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 dedicate completely there and they're involved in saying mass and hearing confessions, um, as well as marrying and baptizing and things like that. The deacon is someone who uh, the majority of us are married. Uh, the majority of us live on on our own. You know, we, I have my own home. Uh, I live in a, a, a neighborhood in in Limbrook, Long Island. Um, we have uh, we have children. Uh, we have other jobs that aren't related to the church. I'm, I'm an exception to that, um, and we help out at Mass. We we can preach on Sundays. We can baptize. We can marry. Uh, and we, we're basically helpers to the uh, to the priest and to the bishop to kind of bring the gospel out to uh, everyone we can. We have a foot in the in the uh, uh, you know the secular world. You know, the, 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 you know, I, I live next to you know cops and firemen and teachers mm. and, and nurses and stuff. And at the same time, we have a foot in the church. So um, we dress regular. I, I wear a suit and tie to work. I don't wear a Roman collar. And uh, but I'm very much involved in the church. And I, I love to preach, as you might imagine. Uh, uh, preaching is my favorite thing to do, and I get to do that most Sundays.
0: Uh, No, that is absolutely terrific. Let me ask you about a trend that we've been observing in public schools around the country and including right here in New York. There has been a, this is a nationwide trend, a tremendous decline in public school enrollment, uh, really uh, beginning to drop, precipitously uh, in 2020 with the pandemic and the lockdowns. Some people are saying in New York City alone, uh, the enrollment might be down as much as 4.7%. Uh, and then this year, looks like the enrollment's down again. But this is not a New York trend. This is a trend that's going on all over the country. From what you're seeing, what's this all about? Or Why do you think we're seeing such a decline in public school enrollment?
1: I, I, look, I want to clarify that I definitely have a, a bias sure. on, on this, and I come from a particular perch on the, uh, on the social tree that I'm seeing this. But here's what I, I fear is happening. We, first of all, we have great, great teachers and administrators and staff members in public schools. We have people of all faiths and, and races and, 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 and economic backgrounds and, and uh, you name it. So I, I, this is not to demonize the individuals, but they're asked to deal in a world that's devoid of, of, of meaning. And so when you take that away, when you take away the fact that everything goes, like there's no, there's no absolutes, there's no, um, there's no center, um, the discipline becomes a question, uh, the, the, the issues of, of respect become in question. Um, the fact that we, 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 look, we are called to respect all, but it doesn't mean we tolerate all kinds of actions. You know, there are certain lines that can't be crossed. And there are certain needs for meaning, and, and religion is one of those, and that, they're not, we're not the only ones. And in the old days, public schools had that. Uh, but I do believe it's, it's more and more of this uh, attempt to uh, be everything to everybody, allow everything at all times to be acceptable, and, and not challenge anything. And, and I do think people are, are, are tired of it. They're afraid of it. And so um, during the pandemic, the city lost uh, whatever it was, 3 or 4%. We didn't lose anything. You know as a public school um, during covid uh, their they, they, strict their restrictions were uh, uh draconian in my opinion uh Catholic schools we were open you know we kept our distance the kid we, we used the protocol we weren't we weren 't foolish about the co uh, about the virus, but at the same time we didn't allow it to destroy us and uh, our schools thrived during that time and I think people recognize that they recognize the value added in a faith based school like like our Catholic school. And we've 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 grown accordingly. Myself, uh, Michael Deegan, and my my colleague in the, in the Archdiocese of New York, um, they had similar results. And I would imagine, you know, across the Eastern Seaboard, that that would be, or at least the Northeast, uh, our schools are very similar, our communities are very similar. There was a, this 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 uh, example of give the people what they need, and they'll come to you.
0: It's certainly an interesting thing to watch. The fact that you alluded to uh, all of the uh, pandemic. Lockdowns and the restrictions during the pandemic and how what you guys did in the Catholic schools you weren't reckless, but you thought that it was important to uh, de- you know get back to some semblance of normal schooling you, We saw uh, the public schools really delay much longer than the Catholic schools did in reopening. We also saw that even once public schools were reopened, there were a lot of restrictions when it came to came to both teachers and students wearing masks and we saw there were a lot of restrictions. Uh, in the part of uh, staff at least on in terms of vaccines do you think that the uh, lack of covid era restrictions including everything that i just mentioned do you think that played a role in the exodus of students from public schools and what sort of uptick the, did that lead to in terms of catholic school enrollment
1: we well i, I, I want to make it clear catholic schools uh, in new york city that would be uh, and, and long island Uh, We're responsible to all the state mandates as far as health goes. Uh, So, if the state required uh, everybody to wear masks, we wore masks. If they required everybody to get vaccines, we required that. But there were some loopholes, there were some religious exemptions that were were given, and we certainly respected that for our teachers. Um, I think the fact that we saw COVID as as an obstacle and not as a, a, a boulder of destruction that would prevent us from anything changed a lot. And the fact that we could pivot. Look, my, my system is a lot smaller. The archdiocese is a lot smaller uh, than than, than the, the, the New York City school system, but we still have the ability, we still, we still teach you know, tens of thousands of kids, uh, and we were able to pivot quicker. And to be honest, and this is something I'm really proud of, I, I, I'm sure it's true in, in New York. For those who, I know this is a national show, so... In New York City, we have two dioceses. We have in two, two organizations. So we have Brooklyn, and Queens, and then we have the Archdiocese, which is uh, Staten Island, Manhattan, the Bronx, and then upstate uh, into Westchester and Orange. Um, I'm pretty sure that's as far as it goes. But uh, with that being said, we 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 were um, we were able to pivot. We were able to, to to get the kids in there, and we didn't have infections. So like kids didn't go home. We didn't have uh, in in my, at that time. I was at Severian High School in Bay Ridge, Brooklyn. I was the principal. We had no kids get COVID because they came to school. That to me means everything, and they got to be educated because I'll tell you, the the deficit that that's caused in our, our maturity level of our students across the board has been devastating, and I can only imagine what my colleagues in the public system are going through.
0: Well, speaking of the public system, you know, we are seeing a lot of trends in the public system where uh, children are confused. Uh, children are uh, not up to a reading level that their peers of a generation ago were able to read at. And in some cases, they're dealing with things like depression, anxiety, alarming of, uh, rates of uh, drug use as well. Is that uh, are those problems uh, prevalent in the Catholic schools as well, or is that something that the Catholic schools have been able to avoid?
1: Well, yeah, we uh, look; it exists, and that's that's a human condition, and there's a lot of pain out there. However, the numbers that that, that my system deals with, that that the other Catholic schools in the area deal with, uh, systems, uh, you know, uh, uh, is, is extremely much, much, much less. I think for a couple of reasons. One is. There's a much bigger buy in from the family in a Catholic school because a parent is, has to sacrifice to go there we we charge tuition in, in in my schools we charge anywhere for the grammar schools we charge anywhere between four and and seven thousand dollars a year and in the high schools we charge anywhere from about nine nine and a half to about seventeen thousand dollars so there's a there's a definite buy in right there you have you have you have uh, skin in the game if you will with that being said, we also have uh, a lot of support. And, and, and so, you know, people think Catholic schools don't have councils. We do. We, they, they think we don't have uh, access to, you know, the best uh, and, and, and the, the best practices in mental health. We do. Um, but we also have teachers that are, are, are involved and they have the ability again. Again, I'm, I'm not going to demonize my colleagues uh, in, in the public. Sure. System. They're good, good people, but, but their hands are tied many times and we can bring in a faith dimension when there's a struggle. We can bring in uh a prayer, and not in some panaceic way that we, you know, we're gonna pray over you and everything's gonna be made. Whole, but we're going to, you know, it's the old Benjamin Franklin, we're going to roll like there is no God and pray like there is (laughs) and know that, you know, somewhere in between we're going to find that solution. And
0: and, uh, I uh, interrupted my own, your answer to my own question, which is about the uptick in Catholic school attendance. You know, not long ago, maybe uh, 15, 20 years ago, it seemed like every quarter we were seeing a different story about a Catholic school closing uh, because uh, they were not able to have enough students for that Catholic school. You don't see those Stories anymore, And I know at least during the lockdowns, you saw a big uptick in attendance with Catholic schools. What are you seeing in Brooklyn in terms of increased Catholic school attendance, if anything?
1: We, we, we're holding our own. We, we, so we, we didn't gain anything, but we didn't lose anything. And so I'm going to take that as a win, especially when you compare it to the public system. Um, the pandemic was, was you know, those three years, uh, and we're, we're coming out of it now, Um Everything was done to make sure that we could hold people together. There's still going to be closures. That's just Mm -hmm. the reality. And and neighborhoods change and and demographics change. Um, So, you know, don't be surprised if you hear – uh, you know, closure coming out of you know the Brooklyn Diocese or the the, the Archdiocese of New York or Philadelphia or, 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 or California or wherever you're listening from. I mean, those things are going to happen, but they're not going to happen in the numbers that we had seen in, in the times that you were talking about. Yeah. A lot is in place, and, and we, we, we work very hard to support uh, – we give tuition support. We work very hard to make sure that there's a lot of value added to our schools. So, you know, in the old days, you came to school, you went home, and you did your thing. Nowadays, you, 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 families are demanding. What kind of club do you have? Do you, you know? Sure. Are my kids going to learn about STEM? Are they going to? Are there going to be a dance uh, a, a program for them? Is there a theater program? Is there, is there sports? And that used to be just a high school reality, but now across the board, even in the grammar schools, we want to see more value added, and they're doing it. And they're doing it, and they're doing it at fractions of the penny of what they're doing in the public system. So um, there is a lot of great good news, uh, you know, great good news about our, our, our private and Catholic schools.
0: If people are just tuning in, we're talking with Deacon Kevin McCormick. He's the new superintendent of the schools of the Roman Catholic Diocese of uh, Brooklyn. Hey, uh, Kevin, can you stick around a few more minutes? i got to take one quick break, but if you don't mind uh, a, uh, you know, a late night slash early morning, I'd love to keep you if you're for a bit more.
1: Frank, I'm on radio again. I love it. I'm I'm with you the
0: whole way. (laughs) All right. Terrific. Hang on. Uh, We'll continue with Deacon Kevin McCormick in a moment. This is The Other Side of Midnight. When we come back, uh, we're going to talk about what trends we're seeing in terms of teachers. We've seen some very alarming uh, news stories over the course of the last year and a half about schools not being able to have enough teachers. What do Catholic schools do? To avoid such uh, pitfalls. And what's happening with respect to the Catholic Church in general? Not that he's the Pope, but he's the closest that we're going to get to it on this radio program. Deacon Kevin McCormick will stick around with us straight ahead.
1: The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Frank Morano.
0: This is Lisa Marie Presley. Lights out. Obviously, a lot of people still uh, talking about her untimely passing. A lot of people speculating that she might have had some sort of a hereditary heart condition that Elvis might have suffered from as well, as well as others. So uh, it's something I'd like to look into on a future program. But uh, we are uh, having a a great time catching up with Deacon Kevin McCormick. He's the new superintendent of the schools of the Roman Catholic Diocese of Brooklyn. He uh, was formerly the principal at Severian High School in Brooklyn. A lot of years of educational experience and quite a few years of experience here on the radio. By the way, Kevin, how are you enjoying... I realize maybe, uh, you know, this is an unfair question. How are you enjoying being the superintendent now? Uh, So many educators that I've talked to over the years who really enjoyed being in the classroom, sometimes they lament that so much of their role has become administrative and they don't get to spend as much time actually teaching students. How are you finding it?
1: It's a trade-off. I had been at Severian for 37 years. They were wonderful years. I was a teacher. I was an administrator. I, I, I worked my way through the system. I became the principal. Um, and and I was principal for 15 years with Mr. Robert Lisi. We we together we really we we really did some great things at Severian, and it continues to be a wonderful wonderful school. And I'm very 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 honored that I, I was part of of its story. Um, but I, I got a new chance to do something different. Look, I'm, I'm, I'm in my early 60s, and I, I have a new dragon to slay, and, and there's a lot of work to be done. I don't have the intimacy with a classroom that I, I had as a younger teacher, but I, I do believe I have more influence. So, you know, I went from a class of 30 to a to a school of, of 1,500 to a to a system of uh, over 30,000 kids when you include our high schools and grammar schools. So it, it allows me to be involved in a lot of great things. I have a wonderful, wonderful bishop, Ro- Bishop Robert Brennan, who's uh, been in the uh, diocese for about a year. He asked me to come on, and uh, I love working with him and the priests and the teachers and the principals and the nuns and the brothers and, and, the, and my brother, Deacon. So there's a lot of great things going on. I'm, I'm thrilled, to be honest.
0: I think there's uh, no state that has not been hit by the situation I'm about to describe, and that's a shortage in terms of, uh, of teachers. And uh, I did this segment on the radio maybe about five or six months ago asking the question – Why? Why are why is there a teacher exodus? Why are people pursuing careers other than teaching? And a lot of school districts are in some very desperate straits. They've been forced to call back retired teachers, uh, give uh, opportunities to teach to people that may not be qualified to teach. And I asked the listeners why. And the three most common areas that they came up with in terms of why people are abandoning the teaching profession had to do with compensation and they felt the teachers were not adequately compensated. It had to do with underappreciation on the part of both uh, the school administration and parents and their students. And it had to do with the uh, lack of discipline, uh, to your point earlier, uh, that uh, a lot of students were uh, dealing with at home, which then would play out in the classroom are you in the Catholic school system seeing a, a similar sort of a teacher exodus, and why or why not?
1: We do have. A, a, we, I don't think I have the problem that my my colleagues in the uh, in the New York City school system has. Uh, but I do have. A, I mean, it is a concern. You have a concern of of your know, people choosing education at a time that was a noble. When I was a, a young teacher, you know, we're talking almost forty years ago. It was a noble profession. If you if you said you were a teacher, it had a certain cachet to it. People knew that you were you were taking a, a, a discount on on your salary, but you you bought into the mission of your program. Uh, we still have that mission in the schools, and, and 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 many of our faculty are attracted to it because they're working with kids in a, in, a, in a unique reality that allows them to express their faith, to allows them to bring their kids to the next level, and and give them the ability to have that that Catholic imagination as they go into the world. But at the same time, in in our schools, we're we're working on on. Um, You know, a a significant percentage less than than the the New York City dollar. So, you know, our people may be making 60 or 70 percent to the New York dollar. And uh, that's a problem. Um, The other thing is, uh, you know, they say unemployment is at its lowest ever. Excuse me. I'd love to know what jobs they're taking because uh, education is not a primary job anymore. And and it's it's uh, we see. Even in our colleges and our universities, uh, the education program is not what it, what it was. It's numbers and, and it's resources that it had been. And that's not true in all colleges, obviously, or universities, but we see a trend there. Um, so there is a thing. I, I do think we need to kind of recapture the imagination of our young college uh, students and, and saying that education is, is really an outstanding profession to be involved in for the rest of your life. Or for a good significant portion of your life. And so there is need to do that. As far as discipline in school, that's really the the, the work of the administrators of that building to set the tone to Mm. say this behavior is acceptable. This is not. And you need the support of your of your teachers, of your principals. I'm sorry, and of the uh, of the administrators, you know, outside of the school, like the superintendent's office. Um, that we do have in the Catholic school. You know, there, there is there is behavior that's not acceptable. You know, you you can't hit people, you can't steal things, you can't be uh, verbally uh, uh, oppressive to someone. You can't you can't make fun of someone because of the way they look or they act or, or or the way they live and things like that. And that's that's strictly tolerated and not tolerated. I mean, it's something that that you know we we have called people out. I've I've over my career in Severian I had to uh I do expel, you know, like mm. scores of kids. It's not easy, but it certainly makes a better school. It's not for everybody and you need to earn your place in it. It's not just given to you. You have to earn it.
0: Obviously, I realize you may have a, a vested interest in in this question, but as somebody that's been in the educational system for four decades, I'll ask you anyway. What's your take on uh, school vouchers? Proponents of school vouchers say this gives uh, students and parents the opportunity to go to school, um, you know, as an alternative to schools that uh, they uh, that might not be performing and uh, they might not have otherwise had the means to go to uh, an alternative school. The opponents of school vouchers say that this is a drain of resources and money from the public school system at a time when the public schools can least afford to have that money drained. Do you have a strong opinion on the question of school yeah, vouchers? I,
1: as you might suspect, brother, <laughs> I do. <laughs> uh, I look at my parents and, and my parents are working class heroes. You know, these, these are not uh, elitists. These are uh, these are people who are working in hospitals and they're working uh, on the streets of New York as uh, as our, our, our first responders they're people who are working in offices they're, 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 they, 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 this is not the uh, the elite uh, that you might find in an upper west side school and and, and kudos to them, but that 's not who I work with um, why don 't they have the ability to to give a, a choice on wh- how they want their kids educated assuming assuming that the schools our, our, our state recognized that they do, in fact, teach what what's expected from a kid, and we do that. You know, we're the New York City. We, we, we cooperate with New York City's uh, Department of Ed and New York State's Department of Ed in our high schools. They take the Regents, et cetera, like that. So. Why, why why won't we allow people to do that? And, and why are we afraid to say that a faith-based school can't get money, you know, that, that for some reason, because I mentioned God in my work, and I make no, I make no bones about it. When you walk in, you see all the, the Catholic identity aspects, of the crucifix, and the, and the saints and things like that. But look at the quality of what's coming out of our Catholic schools throughout the nation, throughout the nation. Well, I mean, I I I guess
0: the the other side of that is people would say that that, uh, Catholic schools or religious educational institutions do get money, but it's for things like textbooks and to get uh, uh, their school students transported to school and things like that. I mean, there is public funding that is involved in the educational process, right?
1: In New York State there is. In a state like Maryland I see. Uh, they don't. They don't they don't get those things. So I see. each state each state is gonna be very different. Just like vouchers. So I, I know for instance in Ohio there are vouchers. Uh, in New York there aren't. And I don't see unfortunately I don't see vouchers in New York State anytime in the near future. But I do think it would be fairer to the taxpayer who has money there, so to, to give them some discretionary fund and say, look, we're going we're gonna to give you a, a voucher of X amount of dollars, whatever it is, and you can put that towards a charter school or you can put that through a Catholic school. Um, I'm very proud. And again, my colleagues throughout the nation, um, our kids respond. Our kids are going on to the best high schools. Our, our high school college kids, uh, our, I'm sorry, our high school Catholic kids are 99% going into uh, the colleges of their choice or they're going into the military or they're going into a family business. Uh, But our kids are succeeding and they go on to the best universities and they go on to make the best uh, uh, people involved. They're changing our, our world in a positive sense. Uh, I would put my results up, and when I say mine, I mean the Catholic school results across the nation. I'll put my results against any other system with the type of kid we come from, with the economic background that are coming into our schools. Tell me how you're doing with the same kids. Mm. I'm going to tell you. I'm going to beat you nine out of ten times.
0: Uh, this question might be above your pay grade, and if but you're the only person I have to ask, so uh, tough. If people are just tuning in, we're talking with Deacon Kevin McCormick. There was a headline in the Guardian newspaper yesterday which caught my attention because I, know, I knew that this was a trend, and it's something that we had talked about on the radio, but I had no idea that it was this bad. Here was the headline in the Guardian. Losing their religion, why U.S. churches are on the decline. And then the news article says... As the U.S. adjusts to an increasingly non religious population, thousands of churches are closing each year, probably accelerated by. COVID. I had, uh, you know, I had an idea that we weren't at the same level of religiosity that we were in the 1950s, but I had no idea of the rapid pace at which uh, churches are, are closing at. W- what is your take on this and what can be done not just by the Catholic Church, but for all the organized religions to kind of stem the tide of people staying home instead of going to church?
1: it's a frightening uh uh trend we we call them the nuns n o n e s and the uh the nuns are growing in uh in, in number and they did when joe and i rabbi joe and i were on the show we used to talk about this on, sure. on, on several occasions um people have lost the, their faith in no, no pun intended uh but they've lost their faith in organized religion in many ways and that can be done one is Look, everything closed during those, especially those first few months of COVID, and people got used to not going to church. Um, I think I think there is a challenge here, and we can say, woe was us COVID happened?" But it happened. Now, what is our response? And I do think that the churches, uh, you know, whatever organized religion you are, we now have a responsibility to remind people what we offer. And, and, and look, you know, some people find this to be very vulgar. I don't. I think we have to sell our product. And I don't mean the way, uh, you know, on, on an infomercial, but I do mean it means remind people what, what is the value added to – and that's a question that people ask in our generation now in, in, you know, 2023. What's the value added of being involved in your program? Is it, is it strictly tradition? For some, that's going to be enough. Is it going to be a, a relationship with the divine? That's going to be very important. Is it, is, it, is it a combination of all those things? It's a place of solace, a place of hope, uh, all these things. But we have to work harder – to invite people back and, 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 you know, literally go to the highways and byways and say, look, this is not the French Revolution. You know what I mean? This is not uh, the bubonic plague. And the church survived things like that. This we can get over, but we, we have to work harder. And, and that means we have to go and meet the people where they're at. We have to be true to our foundation, to our our, our dogmas, to our beliefs, and, 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 and let, let them meet us for who we are. Uh, but it means work on our part. You know, we can't we can't blame the people for not coming. And not do anything about it, you know. That's uh, that's that, you know that's rearranging deck, charts, deck chairs on the Titanic. We need to go out and, and and evangelize. Can I just go on a riff for thirty seconds? Please like? go ahead. Yeah. When, when when I was a kid, you know, I was a kid in nineteen sixty. I was born in nineteen sixty. So um, when when I was when I was getting ready for school, there was no question in in my parents' mind that I would go to Our Lady Mercy in the Bronx. There was no question on it. It wasn't like should we? What? What did they? You went. I lived in a world of privileged Christianity, and, and particularly in New York City, you know, I grew up in the Bronx, um, there was a privilege that you had to be a Catholic, and the world kind of world revolved around it. And you had, you know, Archbishop Sheehan, and, 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 and going my way, and, and a whole bunch of things that went with that. Well, now in, in 2023, Christendom is gone. You know, that, 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 that privilege that, that the Catholic Church or any other church had in, you know, say, uh, you know, from the, from the 20s to the 70s in, in the 20th century. It's gone. We have to evangelize. We can't rest on our laurels. We have to go out and tell people what the good news is.
0: Uh, Lastly, um, when Pope Benedict uh, passed away, I got a call from one priest who said that he thought that when the history of the popes was written, that Pope Benedict would go down as one of the most influential uh, Catholic scholars and uh, thinkers in the 20th or 21st century. I'm curious, where do you think, as somebody that was on the radio under both Pope Benedict and uh, Pope Francis, where do you think Pope Benedict falls in terms of his legacy going forward?
1: Pope Benedict, as Joseph Ratzinger, uh, uh, was a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant theologian as as Pope— he was a, a a real trendsetter pope. He, if you were going to look at the history of the church, he certainly continues in the in the tradition of John Paul II. Um, he was older when he got the job. The church is very interesting with its popes. We tend to to to, to go like a TikTok, you know. So there's, uh, you know, we go to the to, to the more progressive, we go to the more traditional, we go both to the president, and That goes back and forth, and that's that's pretty much a trend. Um, Pope Benedict, he continued many of the uh, uh, trends that St. That John Paul II did, and he did so with a with, uh, uh, love and caring. Um, you have to remember, all our popes are, are bound by who they are. So he's he's a German who was very much influenced by the horrors of, of the Nazi mm-hmm. regime, and he knew the importance of, of tradition, and he was willing to do that. He also gave the church the gift of saying that a pope can can step down. We have people. Pope lived till he's ninety-five. He was in his nineties when 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 he passed. Um, He gave the church the gift of saying, "You know what? Being a pope is essentially important." But it's a, it's it's a job that that you, you need certain qualities for, and and the gift that Benedict gave us was the ability to say I'm going to step down, I'm going to support my my, my successor, and and he did very much. He, Benedict is going to go down as as a very important pope, no question about it. Very important pope.
0: Kevin, I could talk with you all day. You got to come back soon. Uh, next time we're going to get you uh, in studio for old time's sake. I appreciate I the time like this morning. It's uh, been great talking to you.
1: Thank you, brother. I, I, I'm going to hold you to it.
0: I want to see you. Anytime, anytime. It's always a treat to talk with you. Deacon Kevin McCormick, the superintendent of the, uh, ca- the, the schools of the Roman Catholic Diocese in Brooklyn. If you want to comment on any portion of our conversation, you're welcome to give me a call. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Straight ahead.
1: The Other Side of Midnight. Midnight.